everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> so today, we're going to talk about another one of our top five favorite supplements. I don't know if you've got an exact list of our top five, Dave, but I'm sure this would definitely be in there. And it's one that it does feature in a lot of our protocols, whether it's a protocol for gut healing, whether it's for gut permeability, whether it's an immunity protocol, whether it's um, designed for, for specific topical things that we probably can't talk about too much here. Um, it is something we use a lot of. So Dave, take away, what is the supplement we're talking about today? The supplement is colostrum. We're probably going to focus a little bit more on goat's colostrum in particular, but I mean, obviously a lot of the things that we're going to talk about, there is benefits for, for actually taking bovine colostrum as well, but we would have the tendency to use more goat's colostrum. And obviously we'll talk about some of those reasons that we would go for goat's colostrum over a bovine colostrum. Um, that's, just I, to, like- to jump in, Dave, that's pretty important that it is bovine or goats. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've had questions where someone's messaged me and been like, when you're talking about colostrum, are you talking about human colostrum? So just to make that clear, we're not talking. Have you had that question, Dave? I actually haven't. You haven't had that? Uh, I reckon I've had it at least half a dozen times. No, surprisingly so, enough, I haven't had that question. But I mean, that's probably a good uh, segue into that. Like, yes, we're not talking about like human mother's milk. We're not talking about like they call it like first milk. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, obviously, if we look at some of the benefits or something like mother's milk and like, mm. you know, initially babies getting something like colostrum and maybe that's a segue into a lot of the benefits around colostrum is it actually helps with what do they call it? Like meconium and meconium actually helps with breaking down excess amounts of bilirubin. So it actually helps against things like jaundice. And then you get like, and we're going to probably break down these compounds a lot more, but really important for immune cells in particular, things like lymphocytes, really good for antibodies like immunoglobulins. Once again, we're probably going to break down these things a little bit more, especially things like IgM, IgA. It's probably the one we're going to focus on a little bit more, IgG. And so these antibodies deal with foreign material and antigens like foreign invaders, like first line of defense, you'd almost say. And then other compounds like lactoferrin, lactoperoxidase, growth factors, proline rich peptides there's a whole heap of you know beneficial compounds that you find in something like uh, colostrum and we're going to obviously break this down no we're not talking about human colostrum here but a lot of these benefits that we're talking about yes you would get from well, yeah absolutely that you would get from human colostrum so i mean there's so, start, there's, yeah that's a good question because there's so many benefits to it like i sort of mentioned before we use it in so many different realms so I guess as a starting point, you did touch on like the immunoglobulin perspective and, and the, like, the effect it has on immune cells. So maybe we start there. And that's in particular something we would be using for people with like gut permeability, any kind of like immune insufficiency. So what's it doing in regards to immune sufficiency? Yeah, so the, the, yeah the, the way to look at like for people who don't know like immunoglobulins. Okay, so immunoglobulins, they're antibodies. So what we're talking about here is like trigger mechanisms Sounds sort of bad, but 
we're talking about like first line of defense mm. and some of these major immunoglobulins like IgM, that's like, once again, like that sort of first line of defense and uh, raised to the surface of the uh, mucosal, like the lumen. Okay. So that's essentially why it's like that first line of defense and things like IgG, a little bit more prevalent within the, the bloodstream. And, and that deals with things like food-based antigens. Like, you know, it could be 93 like food-based antigens. So, um, dealing with like antigens that are obviously floating around within the bloodstream. Yeah. And then we've got uh, IgA and IgA, you know, really abundant within mucus and within the mucosal lining. So you actually find it wherever you've got like tears, saliva, mucus, snot. Yeah. So, and obviously we've got high amounts of like mucus within areas like the lungs and especially within the, within the colon and the large intestine, because obviously in those areas, we've got a particular type of epithelium or a mucosal cell called goblet cells. And if you want to know where uh, secretory IgA is actually produced, it's actually produced within goblet cells in areas like the, the lungs and the, the colon and the large intestine. And the way to look at it is that when we're having an immune response, they're like that first, yeah. first line of defense. And what they essentially do is they deal with these these foreign antigens, okay, or this like foreign material. And it's quite interesting with something like colostrum because it's really rich in immunoglobulins. So especially people who sit like, you know, very immunosuppressed. Now, some in some instances, people can have high immunoglobin activity mm-hmm. because, you know, immune response or antigen response is, is being ramped up. But also if people have been through this sort of acute phase for, for a very long period of time, then immunoglobin activity can obviously drive down. And when you've got low immunoglobin activity, because, you know, something like secretory IgA, if we use that as an example, I always say that's a little bit like a venous flytrap. So it actually, if you look at the epithelium, it raises to the apical part of the cell where it sits at the top, the top part of the cell. And it's a bit like a venous flytrap where it traps in pathogens and microorganisms. Mm-hmm. So it really, really protects us from opportunistic bacteria. Now, the thing is, if we're not producing enough things like immunoglobins and secretory IgA, that can just leave us more vulnerable to these, you know, pathogens and opportunistic bacteria. So we can essentially get higher overgrowth of these, these particular bacterial issues. So, so initially, if someone is exposed to, you know, let's say a bacterial, let's say SIBO or something like that, or some kind of pathogen, initially that's going to stimulate an SIGA response, right? So we'll, we'll probably see an elevation there. If we're looking at blood work, we might see an elevation in globulin potentially as that's, that includes things like immunoglobulin A. And then you're saying when that acute trigger, if that's not dealt with, if that pathogen stays present and it's not eliminated and it's, it becomes an, an ongoing issue, now we're likely to see this suppression in immunoglobulins. Now we'll see low SIGA, correct? Yeah. So in this instance, like if we were looking at something like blood markers, just to give you an example, then um, without going into too much depth, then we'd probably see a lowering of the globulin. In saying that, you know, just there's some sort of imbalance in the globulin. So in some instances, the globulin can still be elevated. Yeah. But there's some sort of inconsistency with the, yeah. with the globulin marker. And then we might see something like the MEB total. So the combined total of the monocytes, the eosinophils and the basophils. If we're looking at low secretory IgA issues, then the MEB total would be low end in that instance. And then we'd probably just see like a suppression of the white blood cells. So like a lowering in the white blood cell total, you know, neutrophils and the eosinophils. So these being like low end, so once again, like more immunosuppression taking place. Yeah. Now, in this instance, 
you know, taking something like goat's colostrum, which is obviously really rich in immunoglobulins, this is a, a great way of obviously boosting up the immunoglobulins. So, so just before, because I knew you want to talk about colostrum, but I think that whole picture of immunoglobulins, permeability, that's quite interesting. So if someone was at that acute end of that spectrum, compared to someone more chronic, where now the, the monocytes, sonophils, neutrophils, all that's low, IgA is low, what changes in symptoms might that person notice? Is there things that they would notice that would be different in those two pictures? Yeah, so if it's more acute, yeah, okay. So the way to look at it, okay, if something like secretory IgA is very present in like tears and saliva and yep. mucus and snots, and once again, I said this high amount of mucus within the gastrointestinal tract mm. in the lungs, well, you're just like, you're going to be a lot more phlegmy, yep. yeah, okay. Uh, you're going to be a lot more mucusy. Okay, yeah. so maybe like blowing your nose a lot more, maybe white watery eyes, maybe yeah. producing a little bit more saliva. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and post nasal drip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Post nasal drip. Okay. And once again, you could be just like maybe coughing up a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. There's a little bit more phlegm. Yeah. Okay. And also, it's really important to pe for people to understand if someone's like going into fight and flight, like stress response on a frequent mm -hmm. basis, and you're going through a lot more you know, uh, negative emotions like fear and anger and sadness, which let's be honest, there's a lot of that going on <laughs> in the current circumstances. Then uh, when you're going into fight and flight, because your gut lining is such a big player and the epithelium is such a big player yeah. in immune response, then also you, what you're going to do is you're going to actually increase the production of these immunoglobulins and you're actually going to increase the production of things like secretory IgA. And so that's why when we're stressed, we get more, you know, histamine and we also get more snotty and we get more watery eyes and all these types of things because we actually are producing more of these immunoglobins in this yeah. instance. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but obviously if we, we stay in this fight and flight realms and we stay in these emotional states for a long period of time, okay, it's sort of like what comes up will go down. Yeah. And we're not taking into consideration here when you actually damage the goblet cells, when you actually damage the epithelium because that can actually affect your ability to produce things like immunoglobulins and obviously affect, you know, uh, even certain enzymes and these types of things. So when your secretory IgA production actually goes down, well, it's the opposite. So you don't actually, you don't actually have moisture in the eyes. Yeah. Okay. So your eyes would be really dry. They could be bloodshot, but it could, they could actually feel really, really uncomfortable when you just yeah. get like cool air on your, on your <laughs> eyes, almost feels like they're burning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you might just be really dry in the nose. So just yeah. like blocked up. So blocked up through the sinuses blocked up through the ears, you know, and really dry in the throat. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And, and not producing enough saliva. So you just feel like almost like, like dehydrated all the time. You're not, you're not actually, and that's the thing, like people just drink loads and loads of water because they yeah. think they're dehydrated, but it's actually a secretory IGA issue. It's not actually really like uh, a problem with being dehydrated mm. in that instance. Mm. Mm. I remember having a client once where this was what was going on and she had low IGA and for her, like there was certain, she developed food sensitivities to particular foods that she'd been eating over and over again. And for her, it was as acute as she would eat a food that she knew she had a trigger, like she had a, a sensitivity to. And for the next day or two, she had incredibly dry mouth. Like she'd be waking up dry mouth, just needing to have water all night. And it was every time she was eating, every time she would eat chicken, every time she would eat this food, it would cause that. So you just said that colostrum contains immunoglobulins. So does that mean if someone's high, like in, in that acute stage, they shouldn't be taking colostrum? No, it's really interesting because there's obviously a lot of things that, you know, and we probably won't try to go down this rabbit hole too much, but there's a lot of things that can actually help with the production of security IGA. Yeah. 
or, or help with the induction of secretory IgA. Like even things like Saccharomyces boulardii, which is like a good yeast. Even things like inulin, which is like a prebiotic, which you actually get from like onion. Mm. Now, I'm not saying to people like go out and start eating a whole heap of onions, okay? Mm. Because inulin and onions, like their fruit oligosaccharides, and that can be a problem for negative gram bacteria. Yeah. You know, other things that can be really good, you know, even certain types of like bacterial strains as well, like the lactobacillus plantarum can actually help with the induction of secretory IgA. So there are other things and glutamine actually, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing for actually increasing secretory IgA levels, but goat's colostrum is one of those ones that sits on both sides of the fence. Yeah. So if the secretory IgA levels were a little bit too high, it's not going to cause you to like even ramp up too high production of secretory IgA, where you get even get more mucousy and more snotty and more watery eyes. But it also is going to help in the realms where, yes, you do actually have low secretory IgA levels. Okay, yeah. And the reason being that it sort of works on both sides of the fence is because it's not the only thing that it actually improves. And yes, I understand like things that L-glutamine, you know, it's very multifaceted. I mean, mm. obviously it benefits a lot of other mechanisms in the body. But in this instance, if you go, you know, just having L-glutamine every single day and you've got high secretory IgA, that can that can actually cause even a higher production of secretory IgA. Yeah. You might be even more mucusy and more snotty, more watery eyes. Okay, so we, we, we essentially say that, you know, something like, like goat's colostrum or colostrum works on both sides of the fence. So it's safeguard. Yeah. Because yep. of a lot of these other benefits that we're going to talk about, okay, like yeah. you know, proline rich, rich peptides and these types of things, lactoferrin and some of the things that we might go into a little bit more. And I actually think they did a, a research study, and maybe you've come across this, but just I, I can't remember the dosage with the goat's colostrum, yeah, okay, or the colostrum, but they actually noticed that it increased secretory IgA levels by seventy nine percent. Yeah, so mm. that's you know, I mean that's huge. Yeah, okay, so yeah. you know, especially for someone who does. You know, and and a lot of time through stool testing, you can see that people have incredibly low secretory IJ levels. Now, once again, that might be coming from a lot of, you know, childhood trauma and emotional trauma and negative emotions. And it also can be coming about because they have a lot of pathogens and microorganisms and probably compromisation to the goblet cells, so compromisation to the epithelium, so some some sort of damage to the gut lining. And that's where, go, you know, goat's colostrum, I kept on referring to goat's colostrum, we were talking about colostrum, that's where it really comes into its own because it's all the other compounds that it has in, in it that actually help with all these other areas within the gut lining and mm. immune system. So once again, it's just so multifaceted. So there's, okay, so there's obviously more benefit than just the immunoglobulin benefit. And, and just to rehash what you said there, if someone had high immunoglobulins, high SIGA, and we may not know that, like you might get an idea from symptoms, but like you said, there can be this dysregulation, kind of like this roller coaster thing going on a little bit. So in that instance, that's where something like a glutamine might not be a good idea, but then using something like a colostrum will help kind of modulate more than more, more than kind of boost everything up in the same way that glutamine does. Yeah. So someone might be listening to this and, and they might've tried glutamine and maybe didn't respond well, because that tends to be one of the first compounds people reach for, for gut healing. And so if you've not responded well to glutamine, that could be one of the things going on. There's a couple of other things with glutamine and glutamate and whatever else, but there's a possibility there that it could have been a, an immunoglobulin, like there was high SIGA. So my take, when I look at bloods, and I'm not sure if you're the same here, Dave, but if I see a high globulin, like we sort of touched on, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's always high SIGA, but if I see a high globulin, I'm probably not going to use glutamine. 
at least not initially. I'm going to um, maybe down the line, maybe a few phases down the line, but at the start, I'm not going to touch glutamine because it's just too much of a wild card. If I see low globulin, I'll probably give my, like I might let myself use use glutamine or I might just stick with colostrum anyway. But like you said, if it's high or low, you can be pretty, pretty certain that using colostrum is going to be safe to use in that instance, hey? Correct. I mean, you just can't, you know, and obviously in certain instances, okay, if you definitely knew that the person had really low secretory IgA levels, okay, well, L-glutamine is going to be very beneficial in that yeah. instance, okay? And of course, they're going to feel amazing. Um, and also L-glutamine is substrate for your immune system. So there's all these other benefits, okay? Yeah. But you can't always guarantee the conversion process for something like L-glutamine. Yeah. Just like you said, it may get converted into more glutamate. That could cause a lot more hyperarousal in the brain, um, more agitation, and even like bouts of nausea, or mm. might, might actually get converted to more like GABA, like gamma aminobutyric mm. acid. And in that instance, they could be more lethargic and more tired and more fatigued. Yeah, okay. So you can't always, especially if you're using it for, for a longer period of time, you can't always guarantee what the conversion process is going to be like yeah. for when you're taking something like L-glutamine or amino acid. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to the immunoglobulin support, why else would we use colostrum? You mentioned a couple of the amino acids. What's the benefit of those? Yeah. So like, I mean, look, like, you know, colostrum, like has so many beneficial compounds in it. I mean, even like, I think you get vitamin A from it. Okay. You even get like, you know, things like sodium and chloride, but you know, one thing they talk about with colostrum and I know that they relate this a little bit more to bovine colostrum. And this is probably doesn't apply to uh, like goat's colostrum as much, but you get even things like growth like factors. Mm. So even things like insulin like growth factor one and two. So for people out there, I mean, this is actually going to help with, you know, like muscle growth and it's going to actually help with repair of like, uh, like body tissues. Mm -hmm. So yes. Okay. We can relate that to muscle and something like bovine colostrum is actually quite high in IGF one. Now that's why it could actually be a problem for like sometimes like uh, certain types of sports where, that increase in the IGF one could be a problem when it comes to like testing, but you, you're not going to you're not going to face the same issues with something like goat's colostrum in that mm. instance. Just just a bit of a side note, but also we've got to remember like something like the gut lining is just made of type one collagen, it's just connective tissue. So if it's actually helping with the repair of other connective tissue areas like muscle, guess what? It's also actually helping with the repair of the gut lining as well. Yeah, by actually containing the the, the growth factors, the growth like factors. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, and that's partly why it is such a feature in a, in a gut permeability protocol. Cause like you said, it's not just helping with immunoglobulins, it's helping with even the actual, the tissue repair as well. Um, and and I, think what, I think what, I think what you were getting to, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Cause I don't know if I fully answered that question because I think what you were getting to was like the, the proline rich, rich yeah. peptides. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's, there's many benefits around this, but proline rich peptides they actually encourage even like uh, white blood cell production as well. And I, I, I can't remember the exact research uh, paper, but there's even some evidence to show that it actually helps with aspects of cognition, like brain function mm -hmm. as well. And if you actually look at it like, you know, type one collagen connective tissue, like some of the, the major amino acid building blocks, mm. well, you need things like hydroxyproline, proline, glycine. So, you know, I've already talked about proline there. Okay. So especially like those three amino acids, mm. they're so essential for the epithelium and the connective tissue, but also you could probably chuck in there like obviously arginine and glutamine. So there's other amino acids yeah. as well, but you know, something like goat's colostrum or colostrum is just very rich in these, these uh, proline uh, peptides. 
So once again, essentially, it's just more like building blocks. Yeah, I mean that's essentially the like why people talk about bone broth, isn't it? Because you're getting those those collagen amino acids that's going to help with the collagen dependent gut. Now, obviously, colostrum is not as high in glycine, but it is getting proline, which is like you said, one of the most abundant amino acids in in collagen as well. So that sounds pretty important. Yeah, yeah, and even around like uh, I think this is a important one. I don't, I know we don't always talk about the benefits of these compounds around even like training, but I, th- I, th- I think something like goat's colostrum is really underrated when it when it actually comes to how it actually benefit performance and actually benefit you around training. Because I think there was a research study, and I think you might have alerted me to this. I, I can't remember, but they actually did uh, a research study where I think they were taking quite high amount. So bear in mind, this is quite high dosage. So it was in the realms of about 10 oh, yeah. grams. Yeah. I, I think you did tell me about this. Yeah, okay. It was like 10 grams. I think they did it over five days or something like that. And they actually showed that because obviously like what people need to understand when you train really hard, you, you're, you're, you're creating a stress response in the body. Yeah, okay. So what do you think mm. that's going to do? Because initially, obviously, if you're creating more fight and flight, you are creating more immune response. So you are going to increase cell activation. So you're going to increase the production of white blood cells. So you, you cause the increase, but then also you're going to cause a sharp decrease. So they actually found that something like goat's colostrum or colostrum, I think it might've been more around bovine colostrum in that research yeah, paper. I think it was actually a combo of, of bovine colostrum and zinc carnosine. Okay. Yeah. And they actually showed that it helped minimize the decrease in the immune cells. And that actually improved because a lot of people, especially if they're producing uh, more things like cortisol and cortisol, cortisol sort of goes hand in hand with histamine. So you raise up like histamine and that can actually create like respiratory responses and actually showed that the, I'm pretty sure the bovine colostrum that it actually minimized the impact on the respiratory system as well. So that people were not getting as much respiratory responses after hard training sessions. Mm. So it's definitely like a, a, you know, a compound that you can use to really support, especially when you're going through like hard training phases, just a bit of a side note. Mm. And also you're going to well, get this study that the one you're talking about there, they, they found that there was beneficial effects in, in tight junction expression. And also in, um, I think it's like epithelium structure, which essentially, I guess is what you're talking about there, but it was, I think it was in like endurance athletes off the top of my head. And so obviously like, you know, endurance type exercise, like where there's, you know, high, a lot of, you know, cortisol that's being released and there's protein breakdown and, and, you know, even tissue breakdown and gut lining breakdown. So that's, that was, you know, one area where there was a lot of promise. And, and that is something I, I, I tend to recommend to some of my clients who are, you know, doing more endurance type or, you know, like marathon work or that kind of stuff is having some of those compounds, whether that's, you know, before the session or sometimes I can even add some of this stuff into the session as well, because people often underestimate the effect of, of really long bouts of training on, on the gut. Like that can, you can get, you know, exercise induced gut permeability. And for some people that can be a pretty well, big just, issue. Eh? Yeah. And just a huge impact on your immune cells. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that in a bad, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Okay. Like, of course that there's going to be that initial increase and then there's going to be that suppression and that's completely normal, but you know, for people who are already sitting a little bit more immunosuppressed, I mean, that's obviously where, you know, training is just another stressor. And once again, I, you know, I can't remember the dosage that they're actually using on this, but they actually showed just the consumption of something like colostrum would actually just increase phagocytes. So we're talking about white blood cells here. So we're talking about, you know, neutrophils, monocytes, and actually increase T cells and actually increase natural killer cells. Now, 
So I'm talking about that as a benefit for someone, you know, to support like, you know, hard training mm. uh, uh, periods, but also considering a lot of people like obviously have a lot of gastrointestinal issues and they're also sitting very immunosuppressed. Well, that's obviously going to be hugely beneficial in that instance. Mm. Obviously that would be the, the major reason that we would use it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because obviously we're getting people with severe, you know, gastrointestinal problems and bacterial overgrowth. And in that instance, you know, supporting phagocytes and T cells and natural killer cells is, is, is a given. Yeah. Yeah. I think in that study, they used about, I actually believe it was 10 grams twice a day. I think it was like before and after the session, which obviously is, is a pretty high dose, but there's studies that have used such negligible amounts and seen huge improvements. I think we've talked about the study where they used it for prevention of the flu and I think they were using 1.8 grams a day or something like that, like very small amounts. And they found that just the, the 1.8 grams a day was triple as effective at preventing the flu than the flu vaccine was. And that's such small amounts. Like, you know, we're normally doing in the realms of, you know, five to 10 grams a day when we're going to supplement with it. So it'd be interesting to see studies on, on that kind of dosing. Yeah, like that's, it's, it's a great point because it is quite minimal dosaging from our perspective. Mm. so you know you can see how much benefit you can get from something like goat's colostrum or colostrum just from even like quite a minimal dosage so if you actually increase the dosage i mean you, you can think about how many different you know areas within the body that you can have just such such a huge impact mm. what about in like a disposis protocol or a SIBO protocol do you use it much in, in that instance so it's a great question it probably segues into one of the you know the other compounds that you actually do find in um well, actually, it probably segues into two compounds, just thinking about it, uh, that you do find in, in goat's colostrum. And, and one of those compounds is lactoferrin, you know, something we wanted to talk about anyway. Okay. But for people who don't know what lactoferrin is, it's classified as a globular glycoprotein. And actually, it's very multifunctional. And it's sort of, I think it's actually part of the transferrin group as a protein, as a protein mm. molecule. And it's an iron binding protein as well. Okay. So, no probably throwing out a lot of big things there, but um, lactoferrin, something simple for people to understand. I mean, you, you can actually take lactoferrin separately away from something like goat's colostrum or colostrum as well. And a lot of time we do use lactoferrin independently and lactoferrin has actually been well documented around respiratory illnesses and respiratory viruses as well. And actually when you consume lactoferrin, which you can obviously get from something like, like cow's whey, I think you were mentioning to me that you can actually get a decent amount of lactoferrin from something like a, a good quality cow's way. Yeah. I'm assuming you would get it even from something like a goat's way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what, what was the dosage that you actually said that you can get yeah, from so just one serving? A, of in, in one scoop, there's around 200 milligrams of lactoferrin, which doesn't sound like much, but you know, this you're doing, you're doing much smaller doses of lactoferrin than you would have colostrum. You know, even if we're using lactoferrin by itself, you know what we're using, a quarter of a teaspoon, you know, two grams or so it usually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if we were using it for more significant things, it's really important for people to understand. We might use up to about 900 milligrams and actually for more significant compl complications, if it's something like a respiratory virus or something like that, you may actually need to use up to even as high as like 1800 milligrams. Yeah. Okay. So it's a lot more, but lactoferrin is really interesting when you actually consume it. And it's definitely better to consume away from food and at least say about 60 minutes away from food. Why is that? And just, just in terms of what you're trying to uh, utilize it for, because what lactoferrin essentially does, it's sort of, you don't want to be sort of trying to digest a lot of food because essentially what it does, 
um, when you consume it, it sort of hits the epithelium, like obviously little mucosal cells uh, that line areas like the villi, sort of sort of hits the, 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 the mucosal lining or the mucosal barrier and it sort of sits there and it actually acts like as, as another protective barrier. Mm-hmm. And by acting as another protective barrier, it actually protects you against like gastrointestinal infections. So especially if someone's experiencing, that's why, I'm, you know, when you're mentioning about, you know, gut dysbiosis and complications mm-hmm. like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, well, you, it's like your, your body is under a barrage. And so just having that protection where it's sort of sitting there as a layer and it's actually going to help to protect you against a lot of the, you know, the bacterial infections that are taking place. So it's just like, it just acts as another barrier. And also what um, lactoferrin is really good at, it's really actually good at rebalancing your microbiome ratio. So it actually does actually help to increase your beneficial flora and actually keeping in check the opportunistic bacteria. So it actually means it actually brings back into alignment your microbiome ratio. So it's sort of like restoring order within the gastrointestinal tract. And it's also got, and I can't remember the name of the toxic compounds that it actually helps to release, but a lot of these toxic compounds are really effective against a lot of uh, different pathogens, okay, opportunistic bacteria, but even things like mold, yeah, okay, and even uh, different species of yeast as well. So, so very good for dealing with these pathogens and these microorganisms. They sort of classify it look, a little bit like a cytokine, like a protein messenger. You know, I'd say like a big player in your innate immunity. So, like we're talking about like initial response here. So, there's a whole heap of you know, uh, you know benefits to, to consuming something like lactoferrin. Now, once again, you can take lactoferrin independently, but you do, get, you do actually get lactoferrin within colostrum and something like goat's colostrum as well. So, Dave, you mentioned that it can help with good, good bacteria. Anti, what? Anti, antibacterial and anti-inflammatory, just a bit of a side note as well. Yeah. So, and we'll talk about the anti-inflammatory effects maybe in a second, but do you, do you know why it's helping with good bacteria? That seems like an odd, odd effect. Yeah, so I look, I know one of the, the, the things like lactoferrin, like the body produces lactoferrin. So just for people to understand, yeah, okay. And so lactoferrin actually gets released by white blood cells at actually the point of inflammation or infection. Now, why do we think some of these things might be actually coming to, into the fore more recently is because a lot of people have compromisation of the gut lining. They have their immunosuppressed. Now, what do we think it's going to do to a lot of these like protective protein molecules. It's actually going to decrease the production of these compounds. And that's going to affect your ability to, once again, you know, have a positive impact on the ratios of your microbiome, okay? And also to deal with opportunistic bacteria and pathogens. So I'm just finding that these things are really coming into the, into the fore because of the compromisation mm-hmm. of the gut lining and because so many more individuals, especially, especially in a Western society, are sitting so more immunocompromised. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Hey, well, the other compound I was going to talk about, which sort of segues into what you were talking about, is just a particular enzyme, which is lysosomes. Yeah. Now, obviously, we use lysosomes. We can use them in a, as a like a in a biofilm agent. You know, and obviously, there's lots of different types of biofilm agents. I mean, there's things like Interface Plus and you know, biofilm defense, and and they have lysosomes in there. Okay. Now, a lot of people might, you know, look this up and we do, we do actually produce lysosomes, okay? So lysosomes are actually produced within a particular type of epithelium called PANF cells. Now, PANF cells sit at the base of the intestinal crypt. So basically, if you, if you look at a cross section of your small intestine, just as an example, okay, you've got the villi and the base of that villi, the base of that intestinal crypt is PANF cells. 
And panic cells release compounds like secretory phospholipase and lysozymes to actually help us to deal with pathogens and microorganisms, okay? But lysozymes are very effective at breaking through things like biofilm. Biofilm is like a protective mucilage. It's like another barrier that surrounds like a colony or like a tribe of bacteria. And if we want to know one of the major culprits behind antibiotic resistance and our inability to, to, to be more effective at getting rid of a lot of these bacterial issues, it's obviously really, really robust biofilm, okay? And so it's important to understand that actually something like colostrum and goat's colostrum actually contains lysosomes. Mm. So containing the lysosomes means it's also got huge benefits around permeating and breaking down and puncturing holes in biofilm as well. Mm. So is that so, both colostrum and lactoferrin? No, it's so, so I'm talking about the colostrum and the goat's colostrum in this instance with the lysosomes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not in relation to, to lactoferrin. And also they've shown that there's actually amazing antifungal properties with lysosomes as well. So, mm. you know, again, things like yeast and candida, you're going to get some mm. benefits there as well. So, um, yeah. It is so interesting because got- there's so many different mechanisms. Hey, and I often think about this with supplements where they often are doing multiple things. It's hard to put your finger on, well, what effect or what was the single mechanism that had the positive effect? And sometimes you just don't know. And, you know, especially in, in this context, you've just talked about, well, there's potentially some biofilm properties, there's antifungal, antibacterial, there's immunoglobulin regulating, you know, mechanisms. And, you know, there's studies where they've used colostrum on, on you know, this is such a broad topic, but they've used it in IBS. And there's multiple studies there where they've found positive impact of colostrum in IBS. And IBS, what are we talking about there? Are we talking about SIBO? Are we talking about CIFO? We're just talking about gut permeability. Sometimes, like I, I do recall one study where they had, people with IBS, but they had a positive lactulose breath test. So in that instance, we can assume it's probably more SIBO, but generally across the board, all these studies are seeing benefit in colostrum use. And what is it that's doing it? We don't know. Is it because it's having a biofilm property, you know, it's mechanism and it's, it's making other treatment more effective. Is it because it's modulating immunoglobin? Is, is it just all of the above? It's probably a combination of all of those things. And that's what you get when you use natural supplements you know when if you use a medication it doesn't do that does it 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 has one effect usually well it has you know usually one potentially positive effect and then normally a whole series of negative side effects and that's sort of all it's doing but when you're using something like colostrum or nac or quercetin or whatever it's like there's eight ten twelve different positive things that are happening and it's all just interconnected it's really interesting some of the things that you're saying that sort of jogged my memory even when I was talking about like lactoferrin, they've actually linked like low levels of lactoferrin to people having complications like IBS. Now, obviously, mm. you know, we're talking about irritable bowel syndrome here, but we like 70% of all IBS symptoms are something like SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial mm. overgrowth. Okay. So, you know, even like uh, obese individuals having lower levels of lactoferrin. So a lot of the things that you're talking about there, okay, can be linked to some of these key compounds that you actually find in something like goat's colostrum or colostrum. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's like what you're saying, okay, is like a lot of these things that we're talking about, it's just like, it's just so multifaceted. Yeah. So we're just, we're just, we're just covering so many bases here. And yeah. that's why like, you know, you just can't go wrong with including. And, and once again, you don't have to, you don't actually have to go such a high dosage. Because okay? sure. even like quite minimal dosages, are going to have a big benefit even around like just, you know, yes, we talked about the immune system, like phagocytes and T cells and natural killer cells, but even just like 
the gut lining itself because I know mm-hmm. you, you you mentioned it. I, I think you mentioned this particular research where they actually we're talking about something like hyperpermeability, mm. okay, and having issues with the you know yes the intracellular tight junctions and more of a widening of the intracellular tight junctions or a loosening of the intracellular tight junctions. So one of the ways that this can come about, okay, is like having higher amounts of the zonulin protein, okay? And I think they showed that something like colostrum can actually inhibit the zonulin protein from binding to the zonulin receptors Mm. that actually create more loosening or widening of the intracellular tight junctions. And I think, I can't remember, it was quite a low dosage. It was something like one gram for like over two days, which wasn't (laughs) even over like a very long time period but it actually massively decreased the amount of the zonulin proteins in, in, I think it was in a stool test. And, you know, that's, that's pretty significant Mm. Um, because we're like, once again, we would have the tendency to use a lot higher dosages in that instance. So yes, you're going to have a lot of the benefits that we're talking about, but if we're using something like, you know, one teaspoon, which is going to be close to close to about like you know maybe five four, grams four, in that five, instance yeah. yeah okay four or five grams but we might use like one teaspoon twice a day so we're going to get up to that 10 grams so some of those things i was talking about in terms of helping around training because a lot of the people yeah. that we get still want to train they still want to they still want to push their body okay but at least they're going to get the benefits around not decreasing their immune cells in that instance and yeah. getting the benefits around the respiratory tract and the respiratory system but also getting the benefits for the for the actual gut lining itself and, yeah. and actually helping to support something like hyperpermeability. Now, I've also seen some studies where it lowers interleukin-6. Have you seen studies around like LPS as well? I mean, I know like, the, like I can't remember a lot of the studies, but like they say colostrum, goat's colostrum has benefits around like cytokines. So we are talking about like, you know, protein messengers. So look, I, I don't know, like, I don't know exactly if, if, if it has a direct impact on in, interleukin-6, but if it does have benefits around cytokines and interleukins, then mm. I would assume that it probably does have a positive impact on, you know, high amounts of interleukin-6. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned a few times goat's colostrum, bovine colostrum, obviously you're, you sort of tend more towards ghost colostrum. I, I use a combination of both depending on the client. Why do you tend more for ghost colostrum? It's just like it's more to do with like goat's colostrum is just, if you it's more to do with goat's products in general. So if you look at goat's products, I mean, I don't want to get into too, too much of a spill, like, you know, obviously things like goat's feta and goat's cheese and all these types of things, but they are very rich in things like selenium and omega-3 fatty acids and zinc. And a lot of the time it's to do with the terrain that they're actually like they're grazing in, you know, goats generally, they don't have to essentially like dig up the soil. A lot of the time they can graze them on very rocky terrain. They're eating a lot of, a lot of the, the plant matter that they're eating. A lot of the soil is still very rich in a lot of these like micronutrients, but we do recognize the enzymes a lot better in goats and sheep products. So a little bit more closer towards humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and you know, you know, goats and sheep products are a lot more negligent in things like casein, a lot more neg- negligent in things like lactose as well. So it's just from the fact that, you know, goats and sheep products is just that a lot easier on the gut. Now, once again, I'm not taking away from like bovine colostrum because I would say if I'm dealing with someone who wants the benefits of something like IGF-1 in this instance, like uh, growth-like factors, then that would be the instance that I would be more geared towards like um, something like bovine colostrum. But more than not, just for a, a, a lot of the aspects around like immunoglobulins and a lot of the things that we've already talked about, okay, goat's colostrum in this instance, 
as a, a little bit more bang for your buck. And someone might be listening to this and thinking, oh, well, I can't have that because I can't have lactose so I can't have dairy or whatever. So in that instance, that's not usually going to be an issue. So even, even with bovine, people who are sensitive to lactose are usually going to be fine with a bovine colostrum. But if you are concerned about it, like you said, there's goats colostrum as an option as well. So it's pretty rare that someone's going to have a sensitive, I find it's rare someone's going to have a sensitivity even to bovine colostrum. I've only had a handful of people who've not responded well to it, but even more rare still that someone's going to, have, going to respond poorly to goat's colostrum. So like you said, it's very safeguard, tends to be something almost everyone's going to respond well to. It's not something you need to be concerned if the immunoglobulin is high or low, like it's going to be beneficial regardless. So it's, that's, and that's ultimately like, you know, what we like to use most of is these supplements where even if you're on either end of the, the spectrum or either side of the fence, it's going to be beneficial. And that's very much what colostrum does. Yeah. And it's, look, you know, one of the, the downsides of, of something like goat's colostrum, there's not a lot of competition when it comes to the, the, yeah. the different brands. I mean, like Mount Capra is probably one of the most well-known sort of goat's colostrums. So there's not a lot of choice out there. Okay. But, you know, it's probably a bit of a niche as well. So, you know, I think in the future, I, I think it's already evident. Like you, you, you're definitely seeing the rise in, in popularity with like goats and sheep products in general. Mm. A lot more people are, are leaning towards even things like goat's way. You can actually even see yeah. this in like professional sport. A lot more people going towards things like goat's yogurt, goat's milk, and even sheep for these reasons. Yeah, okay. And I, I think you'll, you'll see that there is going to be more and more companies that are actually making available goat's colostrum. And just be careful because while it is becoming more and more popular and just colostrum as a whole is becoming more popular and it's a bit more of a, a buzz sort of product at the moment. I mentioned most people are going to be fine with it. Lactose shouldn't be a concern, but a lot of colostrum products, if you go to the chemist, you go to a supplement shop or something like that, a lot of the time it's just going to be powdered milk with a very small amount of colostrum. So that's where you need to be careful. A, in, in those instances, you're probably not going to get the right amount of dose. Like the dosing is going to be very negligible in that instance. And B, that's where you might actually respond poorly because you are going to be getting lactose if it's just skim milk or whatever it's added to. So it is worth making sure you're getting a, a good product. I recommend getting one that actually lists the immunoglobulin content. You know, that just tends to show that they're at least a little bit more transparent, that the, the quality might be a little bit higher. Like you said, Mount Capra is probably one of the only goat colostrum um, products out there. I think it's one or two other companies that have come across, but they're definitely the, the most common. And, and you can get it in powdered form. You can get it in capsule form. Yeah. Generally, I'd say I'm happy with either. Yeah. Um, and if you do want to use it, like even like using it post-training, like probably like using it powdered form, like post-training, it's, uh, it's definitely a, an amazing add-on yep. to actually help with your ability to handle the stress load through hard training sessions. Would you ever add any to like a protein shake or something post-workout? Like I know you've talked about the De benefit yeah, of having yeah, stuff definitely. I from... actually do. Yeah, I actually do. Yeah. Look, generally, like as I said, if you want to have those benefits, as I said, around, you know, directly towards the, the gut lining and a lot of things that we've already talked about, you know, we generally do it away from food in that instance. And especially like, you know, the lactoferrin, I said, it, it generally is better about 60 minutes away from food, but you're definitely going to get benefits if you want to use it for the, for, for what I was talking about, like post-training just to, to minimize the impact on the immune cells and, and to minimize the impact on the respiratory tract as well. You can definitely use it in a, in a post-workout shake as well. And I think, uh, you know, for me, it would sort of be a bit of a no brainer. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's personally what I do. I think that's a good distinction there. If, if you're wanting to use, you know, not just colostrum, but various compounds, if, if the goal of the compound is for gut repair, then it's usually going to be better away from food. You're going to get a little bit more bang for buck away from food. But if you're just wanting just, you know, more general support, some of the other benefits that it offers, if, and, you know, gut healing isn't sort of the, the biggest concern of yours, then it's fine to add to food or have it to a smoothie or add it to a shake or something like that, hey? Yeah, I mean, like for me, like goat's colostrum, you know, it's it's a game changer for a lot of people. That's what I would say. I mean, I, I know a lot, you know, like goat's products can be a little bit more expensive, yeah, okay? So mm. a lot of people might say that's a negative. But you've also got to understand, like, you know, a lot of the time, you know, paying that a, a little bit of extra money, okay, can definitely be worth it in terms of like speeding up the results that you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier um, about like you can get dry eyes and stuff from low SIGA. It just made me made me think about a client I had where that's like he didn't even really like realize that was his main concern. Like he, he came to me afterwards. He's like, oh man, I just had been putting up with this for like my whole life. I thought I just like was more prone to dry eyes. I thought I just needed to take eye drops. But I hadn't even told him that as a, a like possible benefit of the colostrum. Within about two weeks of taking colostrum, He's like, dude, my eyes, like, I, I'm not taking drops anymore. I don't have sore eyes. I, he's like, I thought I was tired all the time. But he's like, I wasn't actually tired. I just, I just had sore eyes. I just had dry eyes. So, you know, like you said, it is one of those things where you can actually get really quick benefits from adding something like this in. And yes, yeah, supplements, you know, they, they cost money. We acknowledge that. But if you can condense, you know, the next year of your, you know, gut healing journey into three months into four months into six months even like it's probably going to be worth it for a lot of people um, and not only not only is it going to shorten the amount of time but realistically you might not be able to get the kind of results even with two years if you're using you know half as many compounds as you need to then you will get in in a few months so it's one of those things where there's just so many benefits that it is ultimately it is just worth adding into a gut healing stack for sure yeah, and, and a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in this podcast and, and the research papers that we've brought up, I mean, that's looking at it independently. So mm. we're not even talking about if you have like goat's colostrum yeah. and you're having it with other things that actually help with the mucosal barrier and the, and the gut lining like zinc L-carnosine or that might be like BPC-157 or whatever that might be, okay? Because whatever we're talking about here, then you can even have an even more significant, you know, improvement in these areas. Yeah, Absolutely. I will mention we're not sponsored by Colostrum. It probably sounds like we are at this point. Um, we're absolutely not. I don't know about you. I take it most days. And I, you know, I, I pay for it and I take it because I do believe in it. I do think it's a good supplement. And, you know, we're not here trying to peddle supplements because uh, there's any benefit to us. You know, these are obviously things that we do believe in and use with ourselves and use with our clients. Yeah, we look, we're definitely not sponsored by Mount Capra. Okay? We probably <laughs> wish we were. We do. Yeah, wish, okay, if you want but... to sponsor us, Mount Capra, you can absolutely <laughs> shoot us an email. We would like to be, okay, but we're definitely not, okay? So, you know, everything that we're telling you guys is, is, is really just coming from the results that we've seen with clients yeah. and, and obviously experience. And obviously, you can, you can actually find this within research papers. The information is there if you want to look for it. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Dave. Is there anything else you want to finish up on before we conclude? No, like it's just like all I'd say is like goat's colostrum from my perspective, it's not something that gets talked about all the time, completely underrated. Mm. And once again, you don't have to have huge amounts to have a huge impact yeah. on areas like your immune system. Yeah, spot on. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks, Jake. Thanks so much for listening, guys. 
As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.